Patty Holstrand, and we are here live today at Leprechaun. Leprechaun is the premier sci-fi, fantasy, art enthusiast, and uh, a fan convention, of course. And we're, we're kind of loose knit, knit buzz bunch around here. And we are we are broadcasting live right from the Con Suite here. Con Suite is the hub center for the convention, and we are going to have four authors that we have never heard from before, so we're very excited to be here with them. Our first one is Joanna Sanker, and I met Joanna out at, okay, we're going to change headphones here. Bio. Oh, good. This is KWAD Raid again. We had a temporary problem with our connection, so we're back here with Joanna Zinker. For someone who never wanted to be anything but a writer, Joanna Zinker took her time. Born and raised in Kansas City area. And she's done a lot of different things. She's got, and of course, she's now living here in, in Arizona. And so we have her here. We've got a couple of books that she's been doing and some short stories. And we're going to let her tell us a little more about this because. So you're living in a surprise now? That's correct. The okay. Surprise, you have to clarify. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're thinking, okay, is it surprise? Well, that's a this is a surprise Arizona, so it it is actual place. Joanna, tell us about the book itself that you have. Well, this is the name of this book is uh, Betrothal, Betrayal, and Blood. Uh, it takes place in the central uh, the central California coast, which is roughly the area, the very long area, very sparsely populated. It starts at the, the cities of Oxnard and Ventura. Some of you may have heard of those. Goes all the way up to Santa Cruz, uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, and it's a fictional city which bears a strong resemblance to one of the cities there. The people you get, the reader will get to meet a young couple. She married for stability and got it. He wanted a trophy wife by the local standards, and he got it. That's not all they got. Uh, The story is uh, she strays, and 
he reacts. So you meet some private detectives. Uh, one, you meet a very wily waitress, and she is the one through her diary who actually tells the story. And I won't reveal any more than that. <laughs> That's an interesting point of view change, that you would have a sec- more secondary character speaking rather than your first. That's not something we usually see. Um, is there any ideas that you have to that? Why you use that type of style? Uh, I think, to me, it adds to the interest to have someone who is so overlooked. Uh, The old joke about murder mysteries is, who did it? The butler did it. Well, who is the one person who had plenty of opportunity to do it, but nobody pays any attention to him? In in today's world, a waitress is the equivalent of that, I think. It's somebody who works steady in the background, and, and yeah, and I can see your point of view, and, and they're observers of life. So you came upon being, yeah, I know I was saying a little bit about meeting you in Tucson, Tucson Festival Books, and what were you doing out there? Well, basically I was helping uh, man the booth for the Mystery Writers uh, Association, and they were looking for volunteers to do that among the authors, and I volunteered. Uh turned out to be a rainy day, which is not supposed to happen in Tucson. Uh, and we all, uh, the Raiders, we all got a lot of chance to talk to each other, and I had the pleasure of meeting Patty there. Yeah, it was a, it was a really bare of a day. <laughs> right. And uh, cold. Yeah, you, you wouldn't think that in Arizona. That, you know, everybody had misconceptions of all this being, being heat stroke here all year long, but that's, that's not the case. Sometimes we do get a really blistering day, and, man, the rain was just coming in all directions. Right. So, well, we all live to tell about it, and I'll just let you guys know this is live, so we are on a call, and if you need to call in, it's 714-242-5145. Uh, Joanna writes a lot of, obviously, mystery, but she also gets a slight bend towards our direction, which is the weird and wild. Right. So tell us about your, your different bend of stories. Well, my short stories, in some ways, I, I, you can do this with a short story, are perhaps even more personal and even more intense. With a book, you have time, but with a short story, you really don't. And my uh, first one, it, it ends up being things I have strong feelings about myself. I had a um, professional, well, a boss, actually, many years ago that I couldn't stand. He invited us all to his apartment for one, you know, like a get-together or staff meeting kind of thing. And uh, in his bathroom... He had the most grotesque bath mat I ever saw. Uh, and I, my first uh, short story was Pink Bath Mat. So that's I tend to take everyday things, and I'm sure I'll write something about uh, the Leprechaun 39. Now, we're not talking about whore here. <laughs> well, it, it does go to show you that the different ideas and um, ideas that you come up with, um, your your influences... Uh, what influences uh, caused you to really want to write when you were younger, and and how did that come to pass? I think a lot of it, and this is not perhaps an attractive quality, but a lot of it is anger. And, you know, we all classify ourselves. We are encouraged to classify. I write horror. I write mystery. I write hard science fiction or some other thing. What I really write about is uh, justice almost uh, delayed justice, subtle justice, perhaps even vigilante justice. Uh, I have worked in the legal area for a few years, 
and it opens your eyes to human behavior in ways that you wouldn't necessarily think. Well, that's that, that's an interesting idea. As uh, you and I were just talking, <laughs> they were pulling a very heavy uh, cooler, you know, a pretty large cooler. Yes. Um, it took several women to do it. <laughs> I mean, a couple of movies I've seen. Yes. And, uh, and Joanna, she turns to me and says that there's a body in there. <laughs> Anyone could tell that. <laughs> and we, we thought, okay, now that's an interesting idea because one person, you know, one author's idea of what was in that cooler chest would be different from another author. So it just shows the mentality and style of, of how we're wired, I think. Yes. Um, I said, you know, to some of us, it could, you know, especially being in Arizona, uh, Cooler is an awesome place to stash a lot of guns that go over the border. Not that I'm giving any of you ideas. <laughs> but, you know, uh, we do sometimes give ideas to people who probably shouldn't get them. <laughs> and, you know, think about murder mystery and, and, and what would you think that there's some ideas that people get from the creative thoughts that, that come out of authors' heads? I think they see startling things happen around them. Case in point, um, some time ago, several years ago, I had a, uh, a neighbor who uh, had divorced her husband, and uh, the husband remarried. No surprise. That was not an issue. And four or five months later, the man in his 50s, well-to-do, died of poisoning, of some kind of some kind of poisoning at dinner. I immediately thought, the new wife killed him. And uh, she, uh, my neighbor, said, I never thought of that. And I'm thinking, how can you not think of that? Uh, I mean, that would immediately occur. And that was a passing little moment conversation, no big deal. It stuck in my mind. Thank you. And did you uh, follow that anywhere? Did you make a story out of it? Not yet, but I will. Ah. Uh, I heard it said once with, with Ray Bradbury, he had stuff about, used to have a lot of little things around. And as you know, the ghost of Ray Bradbury is here this weekend. Ah. So he is our he's our uh, ghost guest of honor this this, this weekend. So we need to honor him by saying he used to, he always said that he finds stories and he has to cultivate them for long for years and years before they actually come out and on his onto the web page. So is there things, as we're talking about influences, but also something maybe in your past when you were a child that influenced some of your stories? Uh, I think I particularly like to introduce an extreme and dangerous moment into a very ordinary uh, day that doesn't look like it would have any of that. I've had two people commit suicide. Uh, one, I saw the, the act. The other, they committed suicide. Approximately, I'm probably the last person she knew to uh, that saw her before she jumped off the uh, 405 freeway overpass, which I didn't find out until the next morning. But she was walking toward. I had just gotten off the freeway, driving off the, and she was walking to. And I waved at her. She had such a sour expression on her face. And I waved to her, and she didn't seem to notice me. And I mean, I worked with her. I knew her. And I said to my uh, car rider, my companion, I was giving a ride home, and I said, um, boy, that's, that's a pleasant expression. Next morning I find out that she killed herself jumping off the overpass. And then I felt so guilty uh, for having said that. 
Yeah, that's, uh, that's wow. I know. <laughs> I've got another one that's even better, but your readers, who knows the time of day, they might be eating. But uh, I've had some, I've had some extreme experiences in my life. And those are influences, and the one that come up in our stories um, most of the time. And you know, uh, you go. Let's talk a little bit about a couple of murders in in, in, in we're in Arizona. Okay. And obviously we've got big things going on now with uh, the murder case. And uh, what do you think about all the hoopla's going around about the guy that kept the women in the basement? Well, there's that one. But then, uh, the other one, uh, the, the young lady. Who's yes, yes, Riaz, I believe. Is that the one you mean? I, I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, you know, they're making a. They seem like a, a, a celebrity. Yes. I uh, Some of the murders, I think, people do for the notoriety of it, um, or they feel like their life is meaningless, and this will for sure give it to me. I'm not so sure she's one of those. I think she's crafty. From what I from what I read, very crafty. Now she's on a suicide watch, and she'd rather die and all that stuff. Maybe that isn't true. Maybe she'd really rather live. But if she keeps saying she'd rather die, then it makes her look like she's crazy, or she needs psychiatric evaluation, and maybe she goes into a mental hospital if she's lucky, and she never does actually pay for the crime. Yeah, and and really that is a, what it does. Is if you're doing do something like that, and it, the gruesomeness of it. Do you think that uh, people are becoming more sensationalized because it's always in the news? I would say that they certainly think that it's more common than it is. But there's a world of difference between reading something in the, in my opinion, and reading it in the news and actually ex- saying hi to somebody and finding out the day after that they jumped off the freeway overpass approximately 10 to 15 minutes after you wave to them. Yeah. Uh, what we read and what we experience, one good experience is worth a lot of stuff in the news. That's true. That's true. But or one bad experience. <laughs> I shouldn't say it was good. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's good for you because you actually made it into a story. Yes. So, um when you get know somebody that's close to you that, that once that happens to, it does affect you in a, a deeper way. I had no idea. She was so despairing. No idea at all. Saw her every day and said good morning. Gary. Um, yeah, that's, I've had a story once where a friend of mine, she uh, saw one of her friend's dogs run out. And so she thought, well, maybe I should go out and get you know, get out of the car but she was in a hurry. Yeah, and didn't do it. Didn't do it. Unfortunately, um, the, the little kid went out to get the dog mm-hmm. and they lost both of them. Oh, the dear. kid and the dog. And she, all she thought was, man, if I would have just gotten out of the car and, and took that out of then they wouldn't have lost you know, the, the right. kid who got lost. And, uh, so you, yeah, those are kind of circumstances that you second guess yourself, but really, on the suicide thing, uh, it's a choice. That right. It's. It isn't that I blamed myself. How could I blame myself? But I was ashamed of my thoughts and how I had actually made some sarcastic remarks, as is my 
This can be my habit. Because she didn't wave back one thing, and she looked so grumpy. You know, so so really major bad mood. And and then I felt bad about my own superficial reaction to it. Yeah, that's again. Is it far as far as what's the darkest thing you've written? I would say the very first horror story that I wrote is the darkest thing, and that's Pink Bath Mat. And I was very angry. I mean, I don't know if the readers want to hear this, and I mean the listeners. Uh, but the truth is, my uh, now ex-husband had filed for divorce. It was quite a surprise. I opened the door, and somebody handed me a, you know, I couldn't figure out what they were handing me. It talked about family law. And family, I thought they were adoption papers or something. I had to do a, I mean, in 15 seconds, I figured it out. But um, after that, I turned into a horror writer, and boy, it really cooked. And I don't, I honestly don't know why. <laughs> Gee, yeah. no kind of influence there at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm sure it's unrelated, but uh, interesting coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> it just happened, uh, yeah. you know, your heroine's wind up killing your husband. So, hey, yeah. hey, it works for you. I often say that, that authors are the most famous people because they get it down on paper. That is true. You sure feel better after you write some of these things. You can kill, kill all people you don't That's like. right. boy. And it's a gift that keeps on giving. You can kill them in one story and bump them off in the next. You know, there's yeah. some of them, you, uh, as long as you vary the uh, uh, the fore and aft, so to speak. Yeah, right. There's one story where this guy uh, reads somebody's work, and then the guy supposedly dies. Mm-hmm. And so he's such with this really brilliant story. So he winds up publishing in his own name. Oh, my goodness. Only to find out later that he was set up because what happened in the story really happened. Oh, my goodness. Now, that's a very clever twist. A clever twist. Yes. I thought it was clever. That, and then, of course, because everything actually happened, they took the, the author in and said, you know, here you are publicizing exactly what happened. I mean, the names are exact, everything. Oh, and so he is vulnerable to all kinds of lawsuits yeah, and the yeah. reactions from people. They, here and then he had to confess that he sold the material, and um, now he's uh, <laughs> and, and now he's toast. You're a time seller, and it winds up not being his story. So well, you know, you mentioned yeah. you asked me one thing. Uh, this is what I think is perhaps unique about me. Uh, I'm born into the middle class. I'm still I consider myself a middle class person. But within that world, I have had a life of quite extreme things. So um, people ask me, how do you think this stuff up? And my reaction is, how do you not? My mind goes there without me having any trouble at all making it. Ideas are not my problem. Uh, Time is. Yes, yes, time is. Yeah. That's that's the part right there, not having the time to write all those ideas. That's right. So you're at the convention today. What do you think about, about you know, fan conventions? I, I, well, again, I uh, told on my panels I describe myself as the spice in the stew because I'm not actually a a, a science fiction writer. I have not, you know, even read a whole lot of science fiction. So uh, this was an eye-opener for me. I had, I wasn't even... I mean, of course, I knew about science fiction, but I didn't realize the complexity of this world. So for me, I hope that 
putting in a little mystery and horror has been interesting to the folks here, and uh, I I think it's great. I like fan things. I've had a wonderful time here. I find that science fiction uh, readers really they they like a wide variety of things. Yes. And so yeah, fancy writers are kind of sometimes stick in their own thing, but fan fiction they want to they have like the horror mm-hmm. as well. And of course you got your genres. Right. You get your mixed genres, and it becomes real interesting. Very, very. <laughs> I would say thank you for coming over today. It has been a pleasure. This is Joanna Tanker, and of course you guys got to take a look at her stuff online. Where do they find you? www.joannasinger, all one word, J-O-A-N-N-A-S-E-N-G-E-R, my name, at um, dot com, I mean. I'm putting this up on there so you guys each can find it out. And you'll know where to find her information once you see your book, then you'll be able to get it online. There you go. So with that, I'm going to put everyone on hold for two minutes while we reset for a new person. we got four authors right in a row, so we're going to boom, 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 boom. Next up is going to be, let's see, on here, Gary Phillips. This is Patty Hulstrand. This is KWAD Radio again. And we're um, live at Leprechaun uh, Convention. And this is uh, May 12th. <laughs> and it looks like four days of this, okay? So we're here with uh, a new author that I have been, had found suddenly. And uh, it's a real pleasure to have Gary Phillips here today. And Gary, give us a little bio for you. Um, well, I'm a science fiction, fantasy, and horror writer. Um, I've uh, had about six stories published, uh, short stories, and I'm working on a young adult novel, uh, as well a horror novel for young adults. Um, and I live here in uh, uh, Phoenix locally, so... I think that about sums it up. That about sums it up, huh? Yeah. Well, you you have multiple genres going on there. Yes. So which one? Well, let's ask you first. Which one you like better? You like write? Would you write want to write a novel, or is it that you really love short stories? Um, I like them both quite a bit. Um, short stories are great because they're just—it's really easy to, you know, I always have a lot of ideas in my mind that I'm working through. And I'm jotting down notes, and so it's nice to be able to, you know, finish a large number of short stories every year, as opposed to novels, which just take tend to take me a long time to to work through. <laughs> so, you, do you like working on a novel at the same time, and then some short stories in order to kind of get, you know, obviously keep the money going in? And, you know. Yeah, um, there's not a lot of money going in at this point from it, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, uh, I pretty much am always working on. Uh, at least a couple of short stories um, in between the novel. Like usually, I'll um, you know I'll take maybe a break for a week from the novel and and focus on a short story. 
there's a little story about Gary. Uh, I introduced to him, and he said, hey, I'd, I'd be interested in coming to Leprechaun, and uh, I don't just let anybody here. Mm-hmm. So I checked him out, and I uh, was reading some of his uh, some of his books, his work on uh, Amazon. It's, it's always great to have inside the book. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised at the depth of his writing. And said, yes, absolutely. We wanted to get you involved here. And, of course, we're hoping that you're going to come back next year. Uh, what do you think about a fan convention? This is actually my first uh, fan convention as a fan or a guest. Um, a baby. I'm a, I'm a baby, <laughs> exactly. Um, but it's been really fun. Um, it's been great to meet a lot of fans and some other authors that are local and see the costumes, you know, people dressed up. Um, and I brought my family along, and they've had a really good time. So, and we're going we're going to Phoenix Comic Con in two weeks. So I'm sure we'll be hooked at this point and going to as many cons as possible. But this was a really good um, this was really good for my first con. Yeah, yeah. It it worked out well. Like, you know, kind you of a smaller group. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It was good. Once you get over to Phoenix Comic Con, I mean, with your kids, it's going to be huge and yeah. a lot of people. So just warning you, it's a difference between, you know, keeping kids safe in this environment because we all kind of watch everybody. Yeah. But at Comic-Con, you just very, like, get lost. It's yeah, I um, actually, uh, last year or the previous year, I ended up at a graduation that was at the same location Comic-Con was held. Mm-hmm. So oh, uh, we saw quite a few people. It was actually a lot of fun. You know, we saw, I saw a lot of people that I recognized, yeah. and, and uh, of course, everyone was dressed up. So a lot of characters that you recognized. Yeah, we we um we got a taste of it, so I'm looking forward to it. Yes, it's a lot of fun. Are you gonna get dressed up? I will not be dressing up, but my uh, my oldest daughter will be dressing as Coraline, so she's a big fan of the the book. Coraline, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, she um she always has her favorite author is Neil Gaiman, which is. Uh, probably one of my favorite authors, so like like father, like daughter, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so here's a question. Obviously, what influenced you when you were, you know, when you started on your writing? You know, I started writing when I was a, when I was a kid, and I read the classics. Like I really loved Jack London. And, um, you know, my father made me read, like, Moby Dick, which I didn't really have an appreciation for at the time I read it because I was probably, like, 12. Um, so, so I was raised on a lot of uh, the classics of literature. Um, but it wasn't until I started exploring um, different writers myself. Like, I found Ray Bradbury, and he's probably um, who is my biggest inspiration, I think. Um, and, of course, like, Stephen King, because... But, you know, I kind of consider myself primarily a horror writer, so um, those are two really big influences on my work. So with Ray Bradbury, obviously you know that his ghost is hanging around here this weekend, so we're going to talk him up, of course, because we're going to make sure that he gets his, his time on the, in the sun here. Yes. Um, Halloween Tree is something that is kind of odd for him, but it's definitely uh, a bent. Obviously, uh, if you're more into horror, something wicked this way comes. Uh, what was your favorites when it comes to Um, you know, it's probably just Fahrenheit 451, which was the mm. first thing I read read by him. I love something that Wicked This Way comes, 
and a lot of his um, shorter, you know, horror stories. But Fahrenheit 451 kind of changed the way I look at, um, you know, language and prose being beautiful, being something that can just be really stunning in writing. Before that, I, I, I never really noticed. It wasn't until I found him that I realized how, how beautiful uh, a novel can be. It's definitely a, a political commentary, I think, in a way. That, and authors sometimes do that. Do you find that you kind of get your dig in on whether it's religion or politics or anything in that area? Um, I have written one story that probably gets its digs in to, um, I guess, sort of both religion and politics. I guess really um, more politics. Um, the story is actually called... Uh, the Devil's Hat. It's a cyberpunk story, um, and you can actually, if you just, if you Google that, The Devil's Hat, you can find it. It's really easy to find. Um, it is about a far future on Earth where, um, basically, <laughs> uh, there there was a basically the United States started religious wars, um, and so kind of deals with a man who's having to run from some priests who are trying to assassinate him. And, uh, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. Kind of <clears throat> a look at a lot of the, I guess, uh, more right-wing uh, yeah. politics that you see out there. Yeah. And and kind of a look into where that could go if it went to one extreme. So, I don't know. But I, I think it's pretty rare that I, I usually keep politics out of my writing. <laughs> Sometimes they kind of sneak in, you know. Yeah. Um, so, how did you exactly get started in your writing? Is it something that you've always wanted to do that you you dabbled in, and kind of moved up from there, and really knew that you wanted? To, when did you really want to? Um, you know, I dabbled in it as a as a kid. I, like I said, I read a lot. I read voraciously, and I wrote quite a bit. Um. And it wasn't until I actually started, it was about 12 years ago, <clears throat> I started working on screenplays. Um, I directed, wrote and directed a short film and wrote a lot of short screenplays um, and kind of wanted to <clears throat> go that route. Um, but then got quickly jaded with uh, how difficult it can be to actually bring a film to life, to get all those people together in the right place. Um, and I ended up switching to, you know, just short stories because that's something I can do by myself. You know, the only the only difficulty is just getting a finish yourself, sitting down, putting your butt in the chair and writing it. And I've never really looked back since then. Um, I've probably been writing short stories for maybe six years, something like that. Obviously, you have to have a little Ray Bradbury influence when it comes to the short stories. Um, I know the story, and I'm sure if you know the story that he's often tell, used to tell about um, how he got started writing short stories with the ro roll of dimes. Oh, okay, roll of dimes, and he takes the roll of dimes and he go down to the basement of the uh, college library where they have typewriters. But you had to put the dimes in, and you type as fast as you can. Okay, and so he said it at the end of the roll, he has to have the story done. Wow. It's, it just helps Tim to make sure he got the story done, and then you edit and, and edit and edit. Yep. So, uh, what's your uh, habit of how you write? Hmm. I guess my my first drafts 
And I call them zero drafts because they're really sparse, and it's just telling myself the story as quickly as possible. So it's kind of similar to that. Um, it's rare that a first draft is, for anyone, is probably any good. Yeah. And for me, that's definitely the case. My first drafts are very, just lots of notes jotted down quickly and just getting the story out there. And then I refine it over the course of multiple edits. Um, I have drafted a couple stories that were pretty much the first drafts were, it was done, and I knew it. Um, and the editing was very light, if any. One of them was actually my first professional sale to Daily Science Fiction. Um, it came out a couple weeks ago, actually, just posted on their website, and that one I wrote, I got the idea, woke up one morning, hopped in the shower, and I had a song stuck in my head, and the story idea came to me, so I hopped out and jotted down some notes, and a week later, I spent about, I think, an hour and a half writing it, and it was pretty much done. I may have done one light editing pass, but... As soon as it was done, as soon as it was done, I knew the market it was going to. I knew it was complete, and they they took it about two weeks later. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah, sometimes that's very rare that it happens that easily. Usually, there's there's a story I'm working on now that I've spent the last, I think it's been about a year and a half that I've been wow. working on it, and um, still not done. It's close, but there was quite a few false starts with that one. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you see that that uh, they? market is going is going this direction and started publishing. So I'm sure that you probably do ebooks and and if you ever consider audiobooks and and what do you think is in the future? Well actually I haven't done I haven't released any of my own material in ebook format or anything like that. I haven't released a collection yet. because um, I'm actually right now I'm pretty happy submitting to markets. I like the challenge of you know finding a market and saying, okay, I want to crack that market. <coughs> And so I'm actually still happy with that. I'm I'm waiting for some rights to some first world rights to expire so that I can. Does anybody know the guy who was breakfast of our barbarian yesterday? He so, left a mug in there. I'm looking for a mug to return it. Nope. Nope. Okay. Okay. Um. You know, once I once some of my uh, some of the first world rights expire on some of my stories, I would like to collect them and and probably put out my own collection on Kindle. Um. But I think that's probably still. A good six to nine months away before I, find my before I have enough there. stuff collected to, to put something together. Okay. And so much of, <clears throat> you know, I, I would really like to have, <clears throat> excuse me, a collection with a theme rather than just, because I have science fiction and fantasy and horror, it would be nice to put out right. just a horror collection and just maybe a science fiction. Um, but Since you get some notoriety, this is my suggestion. Um, might know Western Oach. He Weston. He writes. Um, he's got books, but he also short stories out. And he, what he does is, he's built up enough market, uh, enough readership that he now puts his uh, his works into a collection and a real nice box set. Yeah, that would be really cool. But I just feel like when you yeah, get when you get when there. I get there, I don't want to rush it. And I'm spending a lot of uh, time focusing on my novel right now, so okay. that's kind of where a lot of my writing time is going. And your novel is what kind of book? Is it a horror? Yeah, a young adult horror novel. Um, I, I've found that a lot of young adult, that there doesn't seem to be much young adult horror, or that it's more paranormal romance or something like that. Mm. And I wanted to write something 
uh, that was a bit more, a bit closer to adult horror, I guess, but for young adults. So, and the few people that know what I'm working on uh, have pretty high hopes for it. It tends to get a grin on, on horror fans' faces when I talk about it, so I think it'll be good. <laughs> so if we're looking for your for your works, as uh, I know you're submitting this to to um, magazines, which is a great idea. Of course, obviously, that's where Ray Bradbury went. Um, and that was basically what the market was then. Uh, where can they find your work? Do you have a website? I do have a, um, I have a blog, um, and I haven't registered my own domain yet. I need to do that. But the blog is at uh, GaryBPhillips.wordpress.com. Um, or you can also just find a link on my Twitter, which my Twitter handle is just GaryBPhillips, G-A-R-Y-B-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S. And that actually, there's a little big bibliography at the top. It's got most of my works linked to it. Most of my stuff is available to read online for free, um, so that makes it really easy to read most of my work. Actually, uh, GaryBPhillips.wordpress.com. Yeah, it's just a WordPress. Uh, the Gary B. Phillips goes with the just Gary Phillips instead of the WWW there. Okay, so, B, oh, it's okay, so it's the name goes before that? Yeah. Yeah, Gary B. Phillips. WordPress. Com. Okay, so hmm. the end. Are you writing a sound so that you guys have it? I don't think you need the WWW, but I don't know. <laughs> it's been a long weekend. Very long weekend. Yeah, of course I did it wrong. Still not like it. Oh, remove the slash. And the and the com too. <laughs> yeah, just and a dot one dot. Yeah. Yeah. The, see if that works. Yep. How dull the wretch. Yeah. The, <laughs> my blog is called How Dull the Wretch, and that's actually a, a reference to a Lovecraft poem. Oh. Uh, that's another big influence. I really like weird fiction. Yeah, you read those, read those something from last night. Yeah, I read uh, one of my newer short stories that's. Um, it's uh sort of takes place in, in Lovecraft's Cthulhu mythos universe mm-hmm. and it was a sort of speed dating with the elder gods. Yeah, it was a fun, fun piece to write. And that's actually out on submission too. Um and that reminds me I also do non fiction uh blogging for Apex publications. Um they're a pretty pretty decent uh size you know, science fiction fantasy horror. They do a magazine that's really great and they release a lot of books. So I blog about once a month for them too. Well, if you ever want to do some uh, short a short work that you can, you know, put into a newspaper yeah. to get to publicity. Yeah, that'd be cool. I got one for you. I'm always <laughs> I'm always looking for just ways to expand my my name. Sure my you name out. to take a look at the wad. Is this, we had three copies on here. I haven't had a chance. Yet, but okay, I'll right. do that. So grab one before you go home because okay. that's uh, that's just that's issue number two, and number three is coming out this week. So uh, we're a monthly newspaper, and uh, 
The WAD.com. Okay. Or .net. WAD.net. It says Rialto Online. So, with that, I can say awesome. Uh, everybody, I should let you know, you peeps, that you can definitely get a hold of Gary Phillips on his blog. So, definitely check him out. And we're a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. Hope we'll have you next year. Yes, pleasure to be here, and I, I, I definitely plan on attending next year. I think it'll be great. So. Okay, I'm going to put you guys on hold, and I'll be right back with the next test, which is going to be David Riley. This is K Wad Radio again. This is Patty Holstrand, and we had one our third author. And uh, David Riley is not just an author; he's also publisher of some really wonderful magazines. And we need to talk about that market specifically with him. That first, we're going to get an introduction of of David and his works. Tell us about your work uh, for his writing. Well, I have about. Four novels I've published. One of them's a vampire novel, and the other three are what we call weird westerns. It's a trilogy, and they're all related to each other. An adventure of a Mayan god tries to take over California, and uh, my hero, Miles O'Malley, basically single handedly decides to set out and stop him from, from doing that. And I've got a whole bunch of short stories in various places. What kind of short stories is for genre? Um, horror and science fiction. Various anthologies. And I'm a frequent contributor in a magazine called Tales of the Talisman. And you have other authors in those markets? Do I? As far as your magazines? Do you have, you have other authors in your anthologies? You mean the ones I've been in? Yeah. yeah. So tell us how you get those authors. Well, that's not easy. <laughs> um, the stuff that I've edited, um, the uh, horror, we, we, we've done four um, Western horror anthologies. That was easy. They were by invitation only, no problem at all. I mean, we just sent out, invited people to su submit, and um, it wasn't that hard to fill them. Now our magazine has been running around for almost ten years now. But Science Fiction Trails has been a little different story. Uh, and half the stories are filled over the transom, listing in places like Duotrope and Raylands and, and wherever else I could think of, plus our own website. And about half of those are recurring authors that we've dealt with before. I know that um, one of our authors that are here on a regular basis, David Lee Summers, uh, is one that, that gave you a call and said, "Hey, you know, we're doing Leprechaun, and you know, you're you're in New, in New Mexico, Colorado, Colorado, one one more over, um, and." Uh, he said you should come on over, and I thought that'd be very interesting because obviously weird westerns, and uh, it's a different, it's a unique genre. Yet uh, I think it's something that's taking hold now. 
do you think that you know westerns are on a comeback, or is it just westerns in with a slant? Um, I guess we'll know in a few months. Uh, Disney is releasing a very big budget um, remake of The Lone Ranger, which was basically a traditional western story. Um, I don't know how that'll go. Disney's been shown that they can definitely make some high-budget flops. Um, there's been other remakes of The Lone Ranger, and none of them has done well. Is why I'm skeptical. Although I'll say the trailers look really good. Uh, so we may be on a, a resurgence of the Western, or it may just be a one-time thing. Uh, the stuff I do, the weird Western, science fiction, horror elements in there, is, is actually, people think it's a new genre. That it started with the Cowboys and Aliens. It's actually about a hundred-year-old genre. So the original Cowboys and Aliens was written quite some time ago? Well, the Cowboys and Aliens, as I understand it, was based on a comic book, of all things. Yeah, which is uh, a graphic novel. Yeah, okay. And, um, which a lot of stuff seems to be start out that way, and it's adapted into other media. Right now, not Tell me about what were your influences when you were young when when it comes to I mean you like Western? Would you read a lot of those? Um not really that much. Um there was a that's why I kind of kind of went straight into the stranger side of it. The wonderful Wild Wild West show, which was kind of the show or movie? The show? The show, the T V show. They had, you know, people with missiles and robots, automatons, and all kinds of wonderful, strange things. And um, I guess it got me thinking about the the appeal of, of that. And I then the spaghetti westerns came out, and, and the Clint Eastwood westerns, and which I thoroughly loved. One of my favorite movies to this day is The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Which, although I think it's a little too long, it's still a, a wonderful classic western. You think that you're influenced because you live in Colorado with that? Because of your area, or not? I don't think it has much to do with it. Um, although, I find myself as an editor. I'm dealing with a lot of local authors, and I do see a lot of stuff set in Colorado. And our our last anthology we did is called Ghost, uh, Gunslingers and Ghost Stories. It came out last, right before Christmas. And uh, half of the book basically is set in Colorado, and half of the book is written by Colorado authors, who incidentally are all women. Some people think it's an all-male genre, and that's hardly the case. I get that from, from book buyers and librarians a lot, and the reality is it's not. About half the submissions I always have always seen are, are by women, and more than half of the customers that I've dealt with are women. I know. So there are women to love westerns. I know we love our cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> Does uh, cowboys and aliens? That, that was a different idea because it, it brought this. Majorly science fiction part into it, and it has a paranormal in it. 
uh, you had your aliens who were apparently the bad guys. Is here we had two cowboy factions that were that were fighting, and then you bring in the aliens, and then everybody has to rally together to fight the aliens. Then. <laughs> well, that's you know the, the movie opens with your classic west western theme of the rich, powerful rancher lives outside of town, wants to bully the. The local law enforcement, just idiot sons, always getting in trouble, and it, it opens with those those common elements that we've seen so many times, and then all of a sudden the shifts, the whole town's getting blown to hell by aliens, uh, and we have the mystery weapon on the guy's wrist, and and and, and all hell breaks loose, and then everybody basically has to unite to survive. Well, that, so enemies become friends, and even the the Indians end up joining into the fight. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they had uh, uh, the the bad guy group, yeah, that wound up uh, having to also pull their way inside you know, in order to fight the aliens. So the Indians and and the bad you know the, the bad bad guys actually come in and actually help. And then of course you've got the rancher who the rich rancher who has to come to help. Um, his son gets uh, gets carried away by the aliens, and he's got to go save his son again. And uh, it's just uh, it's a hoot. And of course, you get your gadgets. Okay. Um, yeah. Obviously, in westerns, you have your guns. And by adding the element of science fiction with the gadgets, do you think that helped to spice it up? Oh yeah, no doubt about it. Um. Let me just say one more thought on the Cowboys and Aliens. The director didn't know what to do with the dog. They had a neat border collie, and they didn't seem to know what to do with it. But um, the gadgets they used quite quite great effect. Um, the stories I tend to like best are, are the ones with some type of, of gadget in them. I, get, I see a lot of stuff by some professor-inventor type. A lot of them aren't very good. But um, one of my favorite stories in issue nine, no, issue eight, I'm sorry. Um, the current issue um, is um, a story by a writer named C.J. Kilmer, and uh, it's one hell of a gunfight is all I can say. He's, he, he goes against a four-armed man who's an alien device this guy has suddenly has four arms and it's uh, quite an extensive gunfight <laughs> I was thinking that, that uh, Men in Black yeah. that's kind of a western in in our day and age thing uh, is you, and one of the best scenes I, I find that's a little bitty pea shooter that he's given and winds up hacking the biggest punch <laughs> So we love our guns, I think, and, and uh, it's, it's something that you do you like weapons in, in general. Are there, are there any specific ones that you like? Like the Colt, uh, you know, some of the old old six shooters, and that are you enthusiast for? Uh, I've never personally dealt much with the classic weapons, although when somebody sends me something and, and they actually have done a little homework, it gets my attention. But usually it's the other way around. I seem to have a knack for useless, trivial information. And somebody will tell me that the Colt Navy revolver had a 38 caliber, and I'll write back, no, it was a 36 caliber. Why I know that, I don't know. It's a 
favorite kind of Wabio Hitchcock, by the way. Extremely accurate and reliable. So tell us about the, you know, you've got a couple of different genres that you have magazines for. How how do you uh, decide to do, you know, the multiple different uh, publications? Well, I guess ultimately it's what interests me, and I guess what I hope will interest enough people to make it worthwhile to do it. Um, some people... Regular writers that do maybe both? Yeah. It's not hard to cross over too much. Um, uh, it doesn't seem to be, although the people buying the stuff are pretty fragmented. I don't see much crossover between customers, between the science fiction magazine and, and the horror anthologies. It seems to be a different crowd. Yeah. But the writers don't seem to have a problem with that. And I certainly have never had any problems switching back and forth between horror and science fiction. I've done a little better financially on the horror side. And out of the U.S., I made more money on reprints than I have on original stories often. Well, I do know that science fiction in general is, is it's been down, it went down a little bit. And uh, I was talking to Jack McDevitt about that, and it's just, is that, that we're running out of ideas. Um, he, said, he said, yeah, we kind of, because technology, we're already there. It's kind of hard to say, to really look in the future and say, we're going that direction. Because uh, I've always found that science fiction uh, writers seem to have the finger on the pulse of what's going to happen in the future. Um, so, once you have a lot of things already here, what more can you do? And so he said, "Yeah, he's he, he's actually has found where uh, he's starting to write about somebody who needs to find something in, in the future, and uh, he's he's having to think for that author. What would they be reading at that time? So, uh, or how would they be reading?" So, because of the changes in technology, where which direction do you think that is? This is all going as far as publishing. Well, the whole publishing world is in such turmoil; it's hard to tell right now. Um, the large publishers are totally confused at what they really seem to want to do anymore, and everybody's crying self-publish. And I'm not convinced that's the answer either. There's a lot of very poorly done crap being flooded out in the world. So I guess in time it'll all kind of settle out and the mm -hmm. dust will settle and we'll, it could turn into an entirely unanticipated idea. I mean, everybody wrote off mm -hmm. LP records, the vinyl, as gone and obsolete, and yet it's still here. It's something that will come back. So I don't know what the future holds, but I guess whatever people want, we'll try to find a way to get it to them. Yeah, that's true. The market does drive to traffic, don't you think? Absolutely. And do you think that's helped you in your different things that you've been doing? Um, probably. Um, like I've said more than once, thank God for Cowboys and Aliens, because our, our magazine really picked up. After that, yeah, it literally doubled our sales. Yeah, and which goes to show you that you know the, wherever the media happens to be, and the the, the general market, kind of you know, they they see something and they buy. 
um, it didn't do as well as I thought it would in the box office. So. It, it, it was maybe too different for some people. Uh, the critics struggled with it. They seemed kind of ignorant of the whole genre. It's, like I said before, it's not that new a concept. Uh, we go all the way back to, even in, the, in film, Billy the Kid and, and versus Dracula, and uh, which is a very strange movie, but, it, you know, it's nothing new. And uh, there's been other cracks at it, and um, but th this was the first big budget movie from a major studio, and that got a lot of attention. And uh, a lot of people apparently had never thought of that you could combine these. When we first started doing science fiction trails, the reviews almost always bashed us for science fiction has to take place in the future. We don't see that anymore. I haven't seen anything like that in years now. So people, I think, are suddenly realizing that there are other ways to tell stories and other time periods, and they don't have to necessarily be in the future. Well, I think that, especially now, that the larger publishers don't seem to have their finger in the pulse of what uh, we really want to read. They keep going back to the same thing, or they follow the same lines. Um, you know, dog story is, is popular one minute, and then everybody does dog stories. Yeah. Um, and the cop story, and then, yeah. yeah. But in terms of books, it seems like the large publishers, all they really want are celebrities and their drug problems, and that seems to be all you find. Yeah, exactly. When when we're really looking as far as fiction, we're looking for uh, something different. And so the cross-genres, I think, have helped uh, for more voices out there. This one other is unique. Um, we don't want we don't want to be boxed. Anything. No. And the steampunk movement has set everything on its ear. Yeah. It's uh, affecting other genres, even stuff that's not technically steam. Yeah. This is highly is getting influenced by it. So we're seeing a lot of that in horror. Yeah, that's true. Right. Oh, right. And again, has steampunk done? Has four elements. Uh, anything turn of the century is historical. I think that there's grabbing on to that gear, but even more so, I think it's the gadgets. It is indeed the gadgets. And there's a, there's a variation of steampunk called Western Steam, which is very similar to what I've been doing for for a yeah. long time. It's finally catching up to me. But you were in a good place to be then. Yeah, I think the difference is um, a little more of this technology or the pseudo technology anyway, uh, versus the traditional, the classic weird Western, which may not have quite so many things running around gushing steam out of them or, or something like that. But it's not a huge difference. And in tales, uh, science fiction trails, about 20% of our stories have cla typically been steampunk. The new issue coming out in June will, will continue that tradition. We've got western steam, and I've even got a dog that goes on a spaceship fighting Martians. Oh, there you go. So well, that's, well, what about those cats? <laughs> I haven't got any cats, but I, I honest to God, a, a writer, J.A. Campbell, has sent me a story that I just love. It's actually got a border collie that takes on Martians. 
And have a and, and it's well told, and people are going to say, I don't believe this. And then they read it, and they'll say, it really does happen. I was, um, actually, we were kind of snowed out a couple of months ago from our local chapter meeting of the Horror Writers Association. And I says, and she emailed me and asked if I was going. And I says, no way am I going through this damn blizzard for that. And she decided she wasn't going to go either. And I said, well, stay at home and write Brown versus the Martian Invaders. Brown's the name of this dog that has been a ghost hunting dog. And by God, a couple of weeks later, she sent me a story, <laughs> Brown taking on the Martian Invaders. So that's one neat thing about what we're doing is that you never know what the heck's going to come in next. Yeah. And that is a unique perspective you need to think about. Uh, so it, where, where would we find you? Uh, do you write a blog, or is it? I know you have websites. So tell us where to find you. I have a personal blog, and I also have a uh, Science Fiction Trails business website. Sciencefictiontrails.com. I guess you're supposed to put a www in front of that. And then the blog is uh, sftrails at blogger.com. Oh my gosh, you know, that reminds you. 
Glad I left the beginning that, you know, with the, we got West here, of course. And you got the other little images in a plot from that. Yeah. But those are three currently available books. Yeah. So definitely we need this low noon, which is fantasy from a weird, weird, weird book. That's awesome. So what does that look? Yeah, getting more. So, so we got to where you were at. And look, really looking forward to what you've got coming on. And of course, I have to grab a hold of that, that particular issue, number 10 coming up. Um, anything else you want to tell us about what's coming up? Any books coming up? I have a few short stories out there and a couple of issues. Of, we talked about Tales of the Talisman at the start of the interview. Um, I actually go back to the, the previous, pre, before Tales of the Talisman, it was called Hadrosaur Tales. And I started out with the second issue they put out. So I have a long history with that particular magazine. Not in every issue, but I mean, I've, I've contributed to it for a long time. Uh, the next, I think the summer issue, I have a story coming out in, in that one. Um, and that's basically a little, something a little different for me is how the mob would deal with the ghost problem. It's called Mr. Walker. And then, so I don't know which issue. There's, an, there's a science fiction story later on scheduled for them as well. I um, had a book coming out, a story coming out in an anthology uh, around Christmas, but um, it's just, just the company's disappeared. So their website's gone and they're not responding, and I, I just I guess that's not going to happen either. So that was about all I had on the right coming up soon on my own Okay. Thank you so much for coming. Did you have fun here at the convention? Oh, yeah. It's been great. And thanks for having me. You're welcome to have you, too. <laughs> With that, I'm going to put a home to you if our next person I don't think he's here. So I might be signing out. I know that he wanted to leave early um, for the, you know, by three today. He had family, and that was uh, Zachary. Jernigan and uh, the young man who just got his first book out and busy. I'm going to put you on hold and see whether or not he's in the hall or not. So then I'm going to put you guys on hold and put a little music on for you. <laughs>